Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for today. Thanks for the opportunity to come together around your word, even though we're doing it from far apart. Lord, we are grateful for every moment of peace and comfort and provision that you have given us during this uncertain time. And Lord, in the moments when there isn't provision, when there isn't peace, when we are scared and confused, Lord, I pray that you would help us remember that you are still in control, that none of this came as a surprise to you, and that you love us, and therefore we can trust you. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every heart that is tuned into this message today, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to lay down at your feet everything that would separate us from hearing your word. You know every person out there. You know what's troubling them, what's keeping them up at night. Lord, help us surrender all of that to you just for the next few minutes so that we can better understand who you are and who you've called us to be. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen. Well, my uh, virtual group met for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and um, when we started doing prayer requests, I was encouraged because so many of the people in the group were asking for just basic sanity um, in the time of quarantine. And it was encouraging to me because, um, you know, it's, it's hard. And we have a lot of parents in our group, and they're trying to, you know, work their job still, but they're also doing distance learning for their kid, maybe a bunch of kids, and they have long days. And so it was encouraging to me to hear their prayer requests because I, I feel so guilty when I struggle with the stay-at-home order because, oh, the misery of having to be locked up in my comfortable home with people I love for weeks and weeks on end. I mean, there are people who are having a much worse experience with quarantine than I am. So, so why does this feel so hard? Well, I think it has to do with pressure. You know, our, our jobs, our, our responsibilities, our relationships, these were all still part of our lives before the crisis, but, but they, they had more room to exist in. You know, we, we went out to eat. We, we could leave for work. Ember left for school. But now, you know, Rob and I still have to do our jobs, um, which we're grateful to have. But Ember also has to do kindergarten at the same time. And we all still have to eat and we have to, you know, walk the dog and take showers. But all of those things have, have less space to live in. We, we've become compressed, which means that the pressure has been turned up. And odd things begin to happen to contents under pressure. If you take something like carbon and, and you squeeze it really, really hard, you get pencil lead, graphite. But if you take that same carbon and you squeeze it even harder, you get solid diamond. You know, they, they, they have the same chemical makeup, but, but the pressure has made one stronger and the other more brittle. I have to admit that um, when all of this first began, my first instinct was just to treat it like a, like a big intermission. You know, uh, real life was just on break for a few minutes, but eventually we'd all come back into the theater and, and real life would start again. And you know, it doesn't really matter what you do during intermission. You, you go to the bathroom, you get a snack, whatever. You just have to get through it. And so, you know, it doesn't really matter if I'm, if I'm short-tempered because I just have to get through it. And it doesn't matter if, you know, I, I eat three pounds of butterbeer fudge because we just have to get through it. And it doesn't matter if I act out my addictions because we just have to get through it. It doesn't matter if I yell at my spouse, that's okay. It doesn't matter if I can't find time to, to pray or read my Bible because uh, this is just intermission. And I will get better at all of those things when real life starts again. Well, I mean, at this point, I, I think we can all agree that this isn't intermission anymore. This may not be normal life, but it certainly is real. And, and this time 
matters. What we do with this time matters. Someday we're gonna, we're gonna get back to normal life. And when we do, we will be changed by this time. We will be changed by what we do with it. We will be changed under the pressure. And eventually we will emerge from our seclusion either stronger or more brittle as a result. Eventually we will all get back to normal life, but when we do, who will we be when we get there? We're continuing today in our series, When in Doubt, where we're looking at the letter of 1 John, which in a really lovely way kind of unfolds for us how we can be comforted and have courage when we have fear and doubt in our faith. And John is writing this letter uh, in part as a response to some folks who, who have left the church. They've seceded from the community of believers, either because they, they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah or they uh, don't want to take seriously his command to love your brothers. And these folks, they also claim to have a, a special anointing, this special access to God. And so it, it, that, that allowed them to kind of claim immunity from sin. You know, I have, I have direct access to God and therefore sin doesn't matter for me. Sin doesn't exist for me. It's, it's similar to kind of the pan-spiritual stuff that we see sometimes today. You know, I'll take the parts of Christianity that I like. I like this. I like that. But, but I'm going to leave out the stuff I don't like, like sin and guilt. I don't like that. Zach said it well the last two weeks. Uh, they, they wanted a Christianity without tears. All the benefits of salvation with none of the struggle. And this group was really frightening some of the believers in the church because they were asking themselves, is there a special anointing? Like, is, is there something that I don't have? Do I really know God? How, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that I know God? And so John writes this letter both to reassure the community of believers, but also as a response to the secessionists. So his letter offers us three tests, three ways that we can know that we know God. Last week, Zach talked about the theological test. Do I believe the right things about God? Next week, Gary will be talking about the the social test. Does that right belief translate to me loving others well? And today we're going to be looking at the moral test. Does, do my actions, do my personal choices reflect that right belief? So our passage today is from 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is God's word. Now, if you're me, your first question is, how on earth is that comforting to believers? You know, you have, you have lines like verse nine, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Well, fail in that test. You know, I failed it this morning when I sent an angry email before thinking it through. I, I failed it last week when I ate the last of the butterbeer fudge. And when my kid asked for some, I told her it was hummus. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not doing well. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. That's a scary verse. 
I don't care how good you are, it's unsettling, but it's important that we read these verses in light of the rest of the letter. Otherwise, we're going to start think, thinking that it says something that it's not actually saying. I love the, the voice-to-text feature on my phone. I don't know if you've used this, but uh, once you do, it's really hard to go back to typing everything on a teeny tiny screen. The downside is that sometimes your phone says something that you don't actually mean to say. My last phone before it died went through this phase where everything I voice-to-texted, uh, it wrote out in triplicate. So if I said, I'm here, the text said, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> my, my husband one time uh, thought I was really upset at him because I sent him a text when are you coming home? But the text he got was, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? When are you coming home? Thought I was really mad. But my favorite voice to text uh, mishap, it happened to my mom. She was on her way to her friend Susan's house for a church meeting, uh, but she couldn't find the road. She was having trouble finding it. And so she sent this voice to text message, hey Sue, where is this place? Only the phone decided to interpret hey Sue as Jesus. So the the message she actually sent was, Jesus, where is this place? And Sue was so scared. She's like, I'm so sorry, Mary. I'll come right out and meet you. So, you know, it seemed like my mom was saying something that she wasn't really saying. No one who was born of God will continue to sin. It's a scary verse. It is, but, but it doesn't have to be as terrifying if we understand what John was really trying to say here. And by the way, that is why it is so important for us to understand how to read our Bibles. Not just that we read them, but we understand how. You know, we, we interpret things. So, so uh, especially now when, when we're all social distancing and, and, and our pursuit of Jesus can feel like we suddenly have a lot less guidance, don't just flip it open, you know, kind of Bible roulette style, because you're going to end up in Leviticus and you're going to wonder, well, why am I unclean for 66 days just because I had a daughter? And that's not going to help you get any closer to God. You know, what are you reading? Is, is it a letter? Is it history? Is it poetry? That stuff helps us understand. You know, what, what's the rest of the book saying? We have to allow the rest of the letter to interpret or to inform these verses for us. And John has already told us. In chapter 1 of this letter, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So what does verse 9 mean then? You know, if, if no one is without sin, then what does it mean? that no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Well, well, first, let me just say what it cannot mean. It cannot mean, in light of these other verses, it cannot mean that if you sin tomorrow, you know, you don't know Jesus. It, it cannot mean that if you yelled at your kids during distance learning today or, or you signed into a Zoom meeting with your camera off so you could watch Tiger King during a work meeting, that doesn't mean that you don't know Jesus. It cannot, in light of these verses, mean that we will never again commit any personal, individual sin. That's not what it means. And, and, and that, that is an immense comfort to me because we are in day, what, 32 of mandatory lockdown orders, which has furnished me with 31 days of anecdotal evidence of what a jerk I can be. I'm immune compromised, and so my husband he doesn't really want me to go out unless it's absolutely essential, like filming a sermon. Uh, but he definitely doesn't want me anywhere near like a grocery store or a, or a drive through line. And so before the order kicked in, Rob went out and did this very big grocery run and got just a bunch of stuff. And I cooked up a bunch of chilies and stews, which we froze. And then we just pulled them out and worked on them all month. But, you know, two weeks into eating pumpkin chili variation number three, I'm just 
desperate for some fresh fruits and vegetables. And so I say, hey, can we order some from Amazon Fresh? And Rob said, yes, of course. So so I did. I ordered uh, like two pounds of grapes and a honeydew melon, a couple of grapefruits, um, some yams. And, and, and I was so excited for this order. And the, and the order came at like 11 at night and I, and I stayed up for it. I was so excited. Rob had like a bucket of water, like soapy water there ready to wash all the stuff that came in. But when we opened my glorious bag of produce, what was inside was three white onions and an eggplant, which honestly was like, felt more insulting than had the order just not arrived at all. Like Amazon was maybe angry with me, like one of those people who orders a pizza for delivery at 11.59, so they sent me an eggplant. And and at first I, I just wanted to explode. I was so angry. You know, I've been eating pumpkin chili for weeks. I'm teaching my child kindergarten and apparently math is different now and and I'm trying to do my job. I'm trying to give Rob space to do his job. And and, and I haven't stepped a toe outside my house for weeks. That luscious bag of, of grapefruit and honeydew melon, it felt like the sweet taste of freedom to me. I was so disappointed. And I wanted to, to call up Amazon and yell at somebody, anybody, you know, how do you confuse a grapefruit with an eggplant? And, and, and I almost did. But then, by the sweet mercy of the Holy Spirit, I had this really shamefully convicting thought. And I thought, gosh, how dare I be angry about this? When the Amazon workers and the warehouse people and the, the grocery store clerks are out there taking all the risks, how dare I be angry? about my three white onions in my eggplant. And there's, you know, there's, poor, there's some poor guy in East Orlando right now trying to make ratatouille out of a grapefruit and some yams, and he's arguably having a worse day than I am. So parenthetically, let me just stop for a minute and say thank you. Thank you to the Amazon drivers and the warehouse workers and the grocery store clerks. And thank you to the doctors and the nurses. Thank you to the teachers. Thank you to the first responders who are still going out every day. Thank you to the, to the CVS staff at Dean and Lake Underhill for being so kind and so patient to frightened and angry customers. Thank you to everyone who is out there bearing the risk for the rest of us. What you are doing with this time, it matters. I have no good reason to complain. Locked up here in my comfortable home doing work in my pajamas, I have no reason to complain and you have every reason. And yet here you are at my door at 11 p.m. with three white onions and an eggplant. Thank you. It is exactly what I needed to make a glorious eggplant parmesan and I'm sorry that I ever thought otherwise. I have no idea what this experience is like for other people. You know, there are people who, who don't have the luxury of staying home. There are people who can't stockpile their groceries. There are kids with abusive parents who don't have the escape of school anymore. You know, the, the, there are people who, who are doing this alone. They would love to be locked up with my kid. This experience has shown me just how little patience I can have and just how selfish I can be, how cowardly. And to be fair, I, I knew I was those things before the lockdown, but, but the pressure, the pressure has a way of amplifying what is already present inside of us. And there is still sin present in me and in you, but that doesn't mean that we don't know God. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So if that doesn't mean, mercifully, 
that my laziness or my gluttony or, or my short temper today means that I don't know Jesus, what, is it, what does it actually mean? Well, we get a couple of glimpses right in the text. First, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. That verb tense is present progressive. So yes, I may commit a sin, but I am not becoming progressively more sinful. Another clue in verse 9 is, is no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Why? Because God's seed is in them. God's seed. Well, that's important because what does a seed do? It grows. And sometimes it can grow really, really slowly. Uh, a, there's a cactus. It's called a saguaro cactus. Um, it's kind of the one that you see in cartoons, really tall, has an L-shaped arm. And a saguaro cactus takes two full years to grow from a seed to a quarter-inch seedling. Two full years. It takes 35 years to produce a first flower. It, it takes 60 years before it can grow an arm. And it's 125 years old before it's considered an adult. That is a slow-growing seed. And if you watched it, if you watched it for an entire year, you wouldn't see anything happening. And you might wonder, you know, is this, is this plant even growing at all? Yes. Yes, it is. But you can only see that growth over time. You may sin in a moment of weakness. But that doesn't mean you don't know God. You may have seasons where you feel far from him and you feel no change at all. But, but look back on where he's brought you from and you will see that seed maturing. So verse 9 doesn't have to terrify us. John, John knows. He knows that Christians are still going to commit individual acts of sin. But if God's seed is in us, the patterns of our life will not remain unchanged. Time will reveal our growth in the right direction. My brother Jason passed away a few years back from an accidental overdose, but before his relapse, um, he had just this incredible nine years where he met his wife and they had their two sons, my nephews. They, they led the Celebrate Recovery Ministry at their church. They um, hosted their NA home group. Uh, I always, every Thanksgiving, I would meet some sweet, lonely soul that Jason had invited to, to, to eat at his table, to, to have dinner with his family. And I know that he left this world in a moment of weakness, but no one who looks back at his story could doubt for a second that God's seed was growing in him. One moment of weakness can't undo all of that life. We may have moments of weakness, but the patterns of our lives will not remain unchanged, which then of course begs the question, you know, what if, what if I apply the moral test? What if I look back at my life, the patterns of my life, not just today, but the moral trajectory of my life? What if I do all that and I find that I'm still failing. Listen to me, because this is important. God has been chasing after you long before you ever stepped an inch toward him. If you want this life, this, this grace, this peace, if you want it and, and you don't see it in your life right now, all you have to do is go back to the source. When in doubt, go back to Jesus. You know, make sure that you're passing the theological test. Do, do I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do I accept him for the forgiveness of my sins and the lordship of my life? Make sure that the seed is in you. Because once it is, guys, all you have to do is give it water and give it light. You don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to white-knuckle your way to perfect moral performance. Our faith does require effort. But once that seed is in you, the effort it requires is just to get to the water and get to the light. 
You know, so often we're, we're trying to squeeze a fruit of the Spirit out of a dry branch. Don't bother with that. Just get to the water and get to the light. If you do that, then you can't stop the fruit from growing. When I first uh, had Ember, I came back from maternity leave and I sat in Jeff Kern's office and I just sobbed. <laughs> I was crying because I, my devotional life was non-existent. You know, I used to spend an hour every morning you know, praying and, and, and reading the word, but now even when I do get up early, you know, the baby wakes up and, and everything start, life starts to happen and I'm barely keeping my head above water and I'm failing and I'm a terrible Christian. <laughs> and, and I remember Jeff, he kind of smiled and he looked at me and he said, listen, kid, You've got to learn how to connect with God differently. You are in a new season and the old one is not coming back. You've got to learn how to connect with God over dirty diapers and late night feedings or you're not going to connect with him at all. And that advice, while it was a touch depressing, <laughs> it, that advice freed me. It set me free. It allowed me to have patience with myself. It, it allowed me, it opened me up to connect with God in new and often better ways than I had when I was compartmentalizing my devotional life into this one hour checkable box. And, and hey, if that's best for you, great, do that. But, but if it's not, if you can't do that anymore, that doesn't mean that you have to dry up. This pandemic has laid waste to most of our routines. I know some of you, I've, I've talked to some of you, I, I know that you feel like you are all dried up. To quote one of my friends, you know, I wish I had time to do the laundry and to change my own pants, but it's either or this week, guys. <laughs> you know, you feel like, how could I possibly find time to do good works for Jesus when I'm doing three new jobs that I never expected to have, none of which pay me any money? Listen, maybe the only work that you need to do right now is find some water and find some light. We get water we get living water from the word by just listening to Jesus' words to us. That's the living water that wells up to a spring of eternal life that he talks about in the Gospel of John. And we get light by bringing ourselves, including our sin, including our struggles, out of hiding into the light of community. That's how we get water and that's how we get light. And if you do just that much, if you can do that much, I promise you, his seed in you his seed will do what a seed does in the presence of water and light. It'll grow. 